Hey there, season three continues on Blended on the Bluff. Guests have showered me with their genius, insights, and their skill sets. Whether it's Mia Hunter sharing the power of influence from her grandma Dot, Casey Gordon encouraging us with get started choices for financial freedom, or Prissy Elrod, the butterfly girl, talking about the power of transformation, guest interviews continue on Blended on the Bluff. Welcome, welcome. I'm so pleased that you're here. Allow me to ask a few questions before introducing my next guest. Do you have a disaster plan for your family? What's in your blended family first aid kit? And are you doing surgery on your kiddos without anesthesia? (laughs) These questions and more are answered in this episode with my special guest, Debbie Osborn. She weaves her fostering, social work, and step-parenting experiences into her work as a lawyer. Are you curious? Me too. Come on, join us. Let's get started. All right. Hey there, everybody. This is Jen Rogers, host of Blended on the Bluff, and I am pleased to introduce my next guest. We are wearing matching outfits today. The lady in blue, introduced by the lady in blue, is uh, Debbie Osborne. She's a social worker turned lawyer. And you may be wondering, uh, what are we going to talk about today? And how does this relate to stepkids and blended families? So, Debbie, welcome. So pleased to have you. (laughs) Thank you very much. Yeah. So tell us, tell us, what is your hook to uh, blended families? Well, I, I always say that I make my living as a lawyer. But what I do with my life is um, apparently raise other people's children. So <laughs> I, um, when I switched from social work to law school um, a couple of decades ago, uh, I never lost my social work um, impulses. And uh, I just channeled those into being a foster parent um, for um, a, a number of years um, as a single foster parent. And then um, in my 40s, I I finally slowed down long enough to fall in love um, with a man (laughs) who has um, a family. Um, He had he he has five children, although only two of them were at home and uh, now they're all adults. So we're we're enjoying enjoying the blended family. But uh, for a number of years there, I was um, uh, well, I'm still step parent to all of the kids. But for a number of years there, I, I was um, the help with along with my husband who had custody of the kids. I was um, a primary caretaker for the two youngest kids. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And uh, fostering children. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, it it was it was a challenge. Um, it's pro- it it definitely parenting other people's children has to be. Um, the most challenging thing that I have ever done. Um, it also is the most rewarding thing that I have ever done. So in the foster care community, because I had been a social worker and because I had that experience, um, I ended up with a lot of the hard to place the kids who usually that translates into teenage girls. Um, it is really, really hard to, for the, for the, caseworkers to find foster parents who are willing to take teenage girls. And um, 
you know, teenage girls get pregnant is probably the best reason I can <laughs> find for that. But um, they're just, they're incredibly challenging. Being a teenager is, is it's just, it's a hard, hard job. And it is in many ways harder for girls than for boys. And so I ended up with, um, well, I started out as a respite parent because my, my schedule didn't allow for long-term foster care. So I, I worked as a respite care worker for a while. But even in both places, they sent to me the, the kids who had suffered from really bad abuse, serious trauma, sexual abuse, those sort of challenging type problems. And it was, uh, as I said, it, it was the most challenging thing that I've ever done in my life. Um, and that includes law school. Wow. Uh, it, wow. I'm saying something, right? So yes, let's, yes. let's camp just for a brief moment, if we can, on this respite care. So you and I know what that means, but right. I think for some people in our audience who may not know what that means. So my understanding of that is that you are providing a break for foster parents so that their kids can go to another house so they can go on a, out on a date or they can go away for a weekend or something like that. Is that right? Correct? Right. It is there. You'll find that short-term foster care comes in, in two different terminologies. One is emergency placements, which is they just needed somewhere for a kid to stay that was safe until they, is a child who had come into the system or their, their pro their placement, had disrupted, fallen apart, and they needed somewhere then um, until the the caseworker could find a a permanent slot for them. The respite care is they stay in their permanent placement, they have a long-term placement, but that parent or that family um, needs a break. And so I would, usually it was on the weekends, I would take the kids for the weekends um, to give the, the parents, like you said, a chance to to go out of town, to go on a date, to just have a break from the responsibilities. Um, There were a couple of placements that I had that the, the foster placement that they were in was not working out. The child needed a, 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 much more of what they call therapeutic foster home parent who's who's been specially trained to deal with particular problems. And by my taking the, the child on the weekends, we were able to extend that initial placement and and give them time to find a, a more therapeutic, much better placement for the kids. So it okay. it didn't completely avoid the disruption in those cases, but it's it limited it. Yeah. So there are so many things popping up in my brain right now about <laughs> how this is like being a stepmom. So the whole reason for this podcast is because I was a stepmom who was losing my mind. Like I don't right. understand why it's so hard. And I thought that when I got remarried, like I was going to be good because of I had course. all of this experience, except it, 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 it didn't, it was not a transferable skill because the rules completely changed. And so as you're talking about fostering over the weekend, here's what I'm thinking. That is what a lot of people in our audience are dealing with when the kids go back and forth every other weekend. So one parent may have them for maybe two weekends out of a month. Right. Right. Four days out of 30. That's really difficult. So I bet you experienced that as well with kids who felt very much, I'm sure, unloved and stuck somewhere. 
Right. Well, the, the, the major thing that I learned from being a foster parent that was transferable to being a step parent is that we're not the people who are supposed to be in the kids' lives. And from the kids' perspective, we are not supposed to be there. They, they know on a, a level that goes beyond logic and, and some, it's almost primal, um, deep in their psyche. They know they are supposed to have an intact biological family. And when they don't, it disrupts them and sets up a lot of cognitive dissonance for them. So even though I, I would say that, that working with, with stepchildren, we don't think of them as having suffered trauma, they actually have. There was the, the groundbreaking 1995 study in adverse childhood experiences that um, looked at a lot of things that, that I saw with my foster kids, neglect, abuse, those sort of issues. But we often forget that losing a family member through divorce was on that list as well. Mm-hmm. And that no matter how, how good the co-parenting no matter how amicable the divorce, no matter how wonderful we are as foster parents, it is just not the way it's supposed to be. And it's hard for the kids to get past that belief that if the world worked the way it should, we wouldn't be involved in their lives. And so we just have to, we have to understand we're not the people who are supposed to be there and that's okay. Yeah, that that reminds me of what you said when we had uh, when we first got together. We always get together ahead of time and have a conversation. Right. And you said uh, you would tell your thirty year old self that you probably would not have the nerve to do Sorry. it. Yes, <laughs> that that is true. Um, if I knew now how challenging and how heartbreaking it could be, yeah. I, I'm not sure I would have the nerve to start. I'm glad I did. Uh, understand. I, I I am very glad I did. But um, sort of like that that uh, picture of, of Christ in Gethsemane, knowing what's going to happen. I, the thirty year old me probably would focus too much on the what I was going through and not the outcome. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I actually think I spent the first year kicking and screaming over my own pain that I didn't understand why I was being in this forced in this situation. I had no idea it was going to be so difficult. I, I It was like every other week I had this uh, schizophrenic kind of personality. I didn't even know who was going to show up because I was a completely different person when the kids were in the home, when the stepkids were in the home uh-huh. yeah. and when they weren't. And so there was a huge identity crisis and uh, it was a big, big struggle for me and took me several years actually to begin to understand. And then through this podcast, how what God has been teaching me is that the focus is not on you, Jennifer, (laughs) the focus is about the role of stewardship that we've been called into as far as parenting the kids. And that, that reminds me of something else that you said that I love. And and we might say this more than once while we record, but you said that as parents, we have the impulse to do surgery without anesthesia. Right. Yeah. Talk about that. <laughs> well, and, and part of that is, is uh, my personality. I'm very left brain. Um, I, I understand emotions and I, and I have emotions, but it's not what I'd lead with. 
I think that's one one reason when I commented that law school was much easier for me than, than <laughs> raising kids um, is because law school was a purely intellectual exercise and and that's my comfort zone. So it's it's very tempting when I'm when I'm dealing with my kids to just give them the logical answer and just drill down to, well, you know, this is what's really going on. And the 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 problem with that is I, I, I can't just brush aside all of those emotions. Um, my sister, who is a, a school, has been a school counselor and, and now is a, a psychology professor, has always joked that I'm from the rip off the Band-Aid school of therapy and that my therapy sessions would probably last 10 minutes saying, okay, we've established you make stupid decisions. So stop making stupid decisions. <laughs> and that we're done. Um, and it just, it doesn't work that way with kids. You have to, um, or anyone who's highly emotional, um, you have to acknowledge their emotions and what they've been through and the trauma and where they're coming from. And, and sometimes you just have to say, I, I, I don't really understand this. I will keep trying. Um, and in that sense, recognize and validate where they're coming from. And um, you have to, uh, you have to do that. And then you can start working towards a, a solution. And uh, that, that does not come naturally to me because it, well, frankly, it takes a lot of time. And I have always joked, uh, God never gave me patience because he didn't want me to waste time. Ah. So it just, I just have to realize that that time is part of the healing process. Yeah. As, as I've been studying different techniques in relation to coaching, that is the biggest thing that I'm on the edge of my seat. Like, Oh, I can see, I can see where you need to go, but I can't tell you. I'm not supposed to tell you, but if I could just tell you, then we could just cut to the chase. So you and I are, cut. I mean, we're, we're in blue together, cut from the same cloth because It is, it is very much, um, why, why are we quote unquote wasting time here? And yet uh, I do think that there is a lot for us to learn in the waiting as well. Uh, And and I think maybe the, the humbling part is that maybe our idea is not the best idea. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) And that That is is the hard part. That is the hard part. That is why we need forgiveness, right? (laughs) And mercy. A lot of mercy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, one of the other things that we talked about was chasing our children. And so in this responsibility of stewardship as parents, whether we're blended or foster or biological, uh, or maybe even just babysitting. (laughs) Yes, babysitting too, this would apply. Uh, Chasing the children. do we chase our children? And this is, I think, was really in the context of one of your older kids running away and coming back. And then that led us to a conversation that most always comes up when we talk anything blended and the importance of establishing boundaries. So would you share uh, what you're able to impart with us in relation to that experience of chasing a kiddo and the boundaries that you recommend looking back. <laughs> right, right. Well, there is, um, it, you're dealing with, with two things that, that sound competing and um, there, there are, there are two truths that they're in opposition, but, but 
we have to hold them at the same time. Uh, one is the idea of, of um, unconditional love and, and one-way commitment with kids, the sense that, that we're the adults, we're the ones building the relationship. We have to be willing to make a one-way commitment to this child, regardless of how they treat us, regardless of what they do, and, and be willing to um, uh, be there for them. I use the analogy of, of um, you just have to learn to be like gravity. Um, kids may not like the law of gravity, but it's there and they can do what they want, but um, it, but they'll have to come back to deal with law of gravity eventually. On the other hand, every healthy relationship, every healthy commitment has boundaries. Uh, the analogy I use is, is my husband and I um, promise to, to love each other and stay married until death do us part. But if one of us becomes abusive or starts running guns for the mafia or any number of other things, then um, we both know our marriage is over. Now, as adults, we don't have to, to verbalize that. We just know it. We have enough life experience to know it. And we believe we know each other well enough to know that those deal breakers are not going to come up. And, and so, you know, we were willing to make that commitment. Our kids don't quite have that um, that level of life experience. And particularly kids whose biological family has broken up for reasons that they don't understand. Um, and, and some of that is because their brains just aren't developed enough for them to understand it. So it's all very mysterious. And then if you have kids um, who are moved back and forth from mom to dad or foster kids who are moved from one placement to the other, it starts looking to them like the, um, the common denominator is them. And they don't really know what causes that. So it can create a lot of insecurity. Um, and that's why I, th I think that we have to, first of all, we have to decide what our boundaries are mm -hmm. and um, boundaries within the commitment and then the boundaries at which point the commitment will end. And we have to find ways to clarify those. You know, my, my foster kids and my respite kids, I was always very clear if you do anything to harm yourself or someone else, that's beyond my skill set. I will have to tell the caseworker they have to find somewhere um, that can lock up the knives and keep you safe. Mm -hmm. So um, that was it was a hard boundary with a, a big consequence. Um, within the relationship, just another example is um, I, I've over the years, uh, you know, how it goes. You have fewer boundaries as you get younger. And then when you get older, you start thinking, well, heck, I don't have to put up with this. <laughs> so one of, one of my longtime boundaries um, has been, I, I don't let people curse at me. Um, if my kids start using words and slang and things, talking to their friends or describing situations, I just, you know, you pick your battles and I kind of let that roll. But when people start directing it at me, um, the consequence is I end the conversation. And um, I, actually, I learned that as a lawyer because when I was coming through as an associate, it was actually considered quite okay for the senior lawyers to, to yell and, and cuss. And I just learned how to say, 
obviously you're very upset. I'll come back when, when we can have a, a more rational conversation. Right. Um, and so that's a boundary within the relationship and the consequences is very clear. Now it doesn't change how much I love the kids or how much I care about them, but it is a hard boundary on the limit uh, on, on my willingness to interact with them. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I, I I'm thinking about how when kids come in the family we don't, when we don't have any experience with them, right. there's a lot of times that we give more grace to strangers than we do yes. to these kids that have come in. And uh, I, I think it's because when they come in, they're bumping up against your norm and they're changing the dynamics of the place. And it's never what you really expected. Oh, no. And then, and then your interaction with your spouse has changed because now you've got to figure out what your boundaries are, because you and I know that when you are in this starry eyed love affair phase, uh, you like, there's no problem. Everything's right. going to be great. It's beautiful. We're going to, we're going to move in together and we're going to have our Brady Bunch squares and every, everybody's going to look up and down and around and it'll be great. <laughs> and in 30 minutes, it's all good. It's over. <laughs> and, and, and then this, this um, rational, uh, um, intelligent person that I'm madly in love with disagrees with me. And, and doesn't oh, see things the same way I do. And, and how is that possible for him to be so rational and so intelligent and not see how right I am? Uh-huh. <laughs> that happens in my house too. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. And, and, and when it involves the kids and, um, and, you know, my husband and I, we, we, we came from different perspectives and our conversations, disagreements, um, came down to, there were lots of variations on a common theme, but the theme was him saying, I've raised five kids. And my response was, I've parented traumatized kids. That's different. And we just kept locking horns on, was this a matter of trauma or was this a matter of will or just a matter of, you know, was it a matter of won't or can't? And um, that those were what are, you know, at least in, in my experience, um, those were the big disagreements. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, the only thing my husband and I fight about are the kids. That's oh, what we yeah. fight about. Everything yeah. else. And I think that's where that, that's where if we can grab onto that piece that says, yeah, actually, we are going to do things differently this time around. There is that and it does show up, but it's so easy to focus on those things that are negative and that aren't going well. And it, was, it, it was interesting before I got married, my, my brother and I had a conversation and he said, oh, that the only thing you and your husband will fight about is the kids. And I sort of looked at him and he said, because I, you know, I, I'm a lawyer. I disagree with a lot of people on a lot of things. <laughs> and, um, and he said, no, the kids will be the only thing you care enough about to fight with them. And, you know, 15 years later, he was exactly right. Everything else I'm willing to give in on because it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. So let me ask you, as a lawyer, when do people come to you? Do they come to you before they're in trouble or when the trouble starts? Oh, after they're in trouble. Yeah. Um, I, 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 my, 
law practice is actually representing youth organizations. So child care centers, camps, private schools, um, foster care agencies, um, the, those groups. It's, um, it's, it's a combination of my social work and my legal skills. And um, it, it's just invariable. I, I try to get them to pay attention to me and put things in practice that will keep them out of trouble. And um, they just want to save money. And, uh, you know, the, the joke among my colleagues, we have a saying of you can hire me to do it now or you can pay me twice as much to fix it later. Right, right. Okay. And so if I think about that on an emotional scale, Debbie, Uh, yeah, with our stepkids or with foster kids, that that very much is the case. If we are willing to take the time up front and we're still all starry eyed and all of that, right, right, and to think about what kind of boundaries are we going to have, uh, that's something that I'm incredibly passionate about as far as working with families to establish a framework for their household and to actually come up with a vision for their family so that they can cohesively move in the direction of what's important to them. But uh, that love is so powerfully blind. <laughs> and know, they, 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 it's the same. They, when they're in trouble, when they're arguing over the kids, when they don't agree, when they've got a high conflict ex-spouse or any high conflict ex anybody that is impacting their home, then they want to figure out how to deal with it. And by then they're pretty aggravated with one another and struggling right. in communication as well. So it's no different yeah. <laughs> in step family crises versus it is versus a crisis that a lawyer is going to respond to. That's right. And anywhere else, there's things you can put in place ahead of time. Um, I call them in, in, in the book that I wrote and, and on my blog, I, I call talk about um, a disaster plan. Just like the Red Cross um, has a disaster plan for hurricanes and floods. They know what they're doing because they have a plan ahead of time. Um, with our kids and our family, we can try to foresee some of the problems. And um, one of the stories I have, I I ran across, I I stumbled into this with one of my foster daughters one night who, a long story, short version is I um, uh, found her outside on our porch at, at midnight with a strange boy that I had never met. And um, as she was trying to explain it to me and, you know, how, how kids do, I just said, no, no, it, it, you are grounded until you're 35 and we will discuss this tomorrow. <laughs> when, when we discussed it the next day, I was much calmer and, and we were able to, to talk it through. She made the comment that, that that statement actually had reassured her that um, that she knew I was angry, but that I also knew I was angry <laughs> and that um, the sheer um, scale, you know, until you're 35 kind of reassured her that, that there would be a more rational consequence coming later. And so I have sort of learned they're just things that I, I go to in the moment to serve as a placeholder and to give me time um, and, and to keep the kid in an emotionally stable place. And then we'll all come down and come back and, and discuss it later. I like this. So I'm going to go back. So we have an impulse to do surgery um, mm-hmm. without anesthesia. 
uh, we there's the law of gravity. So regardless of what these kids do, uh, there is a law of gravity that centers them back to reality. And then this disaster plan. I really like that one. That's really good. Maybe I need to change that. Yes. Is a, is part of my uh, uh, course as far as having a disaster oh, yeah. planning ahead. Like so if yeah. you figure out where, because if you think about it, uh, we all know ahead of time if we sit down and talk about it where the um, the, the problems are going to be, and yeah. uh, you know the the ex spouse, and even if we get along, there's there's going to be um, problems, and I, and I learned that again working with my foster kids taught me how to deal with with biological parents. Um, I, I will say my husband's ex wife is a much nicer person than any of the parents of my foster kids. So, <laughs> but but still, they were my kids' parents, and I I could not change that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a level of responsibility that we have to honor the role, whether or not we like the person, uh, they have this connection with their kids, of course, by design. And it goes back to what you said at the very beginning of the podcast that kids know in, in deep inside that they're supposed to be a part of the family, that they're not supposed to be part of this brokenness. And so when we uh, attack the ex spouse, or any yeah. ex-family member that just really, that never goes well. No. Um, and any, any time we, we try to make them choose sides, um, yeah. we're going to lose. You know, yeah. if, if it were a contest, we would lose because we're, we're not the biological um, family. There's, I, I used to joke with my sons. Uh, I, I, I been fortunate to have a very good relationship with with them and when I first married I would joke with them that I've, I've read all the stepmother manuals I've, I've read uh, Cinderella and Snow White and Hansel and Gretel I, I know how to do this but um but the fact is that the step parent as the villain of the story is centuries old and, um, and it, you know, it may be hardwired and something that we have to affirmatively overcome. It's not fair, but it, it, it's, it, it is there. Again, like the law of gravity, we just have to deal with it. Right, right. And so one of the ways that I tried to explain that to my husband was this. I said, you know, it is two women with one man like that that doesn't go well. And so when you have the presence of the ex-spouse in your home in some way, shape or form, or impacting your decisions, whether it's your financial decisions, whether it's your vacation decisions, whether it's where the kids are going to school decisions, whether it's discipline decisions, when you have the impact in your home, that person's presence is felt there and yes. it's threatening. It's, it feels very threatening because you have to be extra careful as I, I can only say as a stepmom, I don't know what it's like to be a stepdad. So I don't, you know, I know that women, women and men are very different by God's design and it's a beautiful thing. But for me personally, I think there's that, that, that competition there, if you will, among women to say, this doesn't feel good. It doesn't, it's not like you said, with the kids being in a broken family in a remarriage, it's not, you're not supposed to be a feel threatened by another woman. And yet that's, that's the best way I can describe it, even though you're in your marriage and all of that. Yeah, go ahead. It's something that's out of, 
out of my control. Yeah. And it is, it, it's incredibly difficult to deal with people that we can't control. And, and like you said, they, they are, they are a part of our relationship and, yeah. and we just have to, um, we just have to figure out a way to deal with that. Um, yeah. And this may lead me to, to one thing that, that I think is, um, is incredibly important. Um, part of being part of the law of gravity is we have to make our marriage our number one priority because I think the most important thing we can show our stepkids is how to keep a marriage together. Yeah. Um, by definition, they have not seen that. And that was one thing, you know, as a single foster parent, my kids never saw a functioning marriage from the inside because I was single. Mm-hmm. So um, if, if we have stepkids, we have an incredible opportunity to show them how that works. And um, part of being the law of gravity is to just always be there. Yeah. When I, when I first married our, our youngest stepson was, he was convinced I was going to disappear and I, he and I had bonded and, and we got along very well. And, um, but I was constantly picking up signals from him of needing reassurance that, that I was going to come back from my business trips and, and those kind of things. Um, he actually once asked if, um, said, if, if you and dad break up, can I come live with you? Um, which, <laughs> which I found very flattering, um, but, but very sad because he was just making preparation for the inevitable. Um, and then, and I gradually quit hearing that. And I asked him, he's an adult now. And I asked him one day what had changed that, uh, had, had made him not fear that anymore. He thought for a minute and said, well, you hung around. Yeah. And I, I thought, you know, there is power in, um, hanging around and keeping the marriage together. And the statistics for second and third marriages are just terrible, you know, 60 yeah. to 70% of them break up. Yeah. And it, it just causes more trauma for kids. Right. Right. And this constant, uh, not knowing what's going to happen next. And so then I right. think it really uh, sacrifices trust between them and their biological parents as well, because they, they can't trust what they say. And I, that, I think that's the biggest thing, the trust, it takes so much time. So what I heard from you when you went back and talked uh, to your oldest stepson is uh, it took time that you had to keep showing up. And I think I want to, I want to mention that again for blended parents out there to let you know that if you're busy banging your head against the wall, we get it. We've, we've done it too. Um, (laughs) And things have not gone our way and we don't like the way things are going right now. And yet we still have the power of influence in the role that we have. And I think perhaps we want to change that role yet we can't, we just simply can't. And so if we stop fighting that and start focusing on what we can do in our role, start loving our spouses and being committed to that marriage. I love that you said that that's one of my soapbox issues is that the unity. So when I'm coaching set moms, it's a short-term thing because the goal is that you got to get in here together because you and I could spend years talking about these things, but if you and your husband are not in unity, 
it's not it's not going to matter. And right. so uh, definitely we can do short term, but the, the goal is that we want to get unity in the marriage. So I really appreciate you mentioning that. Thank you for sharing that. So you've referenced a couple times now that you've got this book. Uh, it's Raising Other People's Children. Yes. What Foster Parenting Taught Me About Bringing Together a Blended Family. So tell us about this book. Well, it um, was the outgrowth of just talking to um, friends, um, foster parents and step parents and sort of laying out the, the lessons that my kids had taught me and things that I had learned um, and the, the mistakes I had made. And um, the response that I kept getting back was, I had never thought of that. And I, I, I've been doing this so long and there's so many things things that I have internalized um, that, that when my friends just responded how much they appreciated it, I thought, well, I, I thought I was just sort of giving common sense. <laughs> and, but when I thought back and started reconstructing, I realized that um, working with traumatized kids first and, and being a foster parent um, actually had made it much easier for me to be a step parent because I had already learned those lessons about not competing with, with their biological mother and not trashing their biological mother and, and, and keeping the kids out of our disagreements and um, encouraging that relationship and um, making a, a, a one-way commitment, but setting up boundaries, all of those things. Um, engineering logical consequences uh, with with kids and uh, helping them navigate to adulthood. Um, so I just, uh, a, a friend of mine who had written a book um, kept kept nagging me and I finally said, okay, okay, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll put it in writing. <laughs> so next, ne next thing I know, I've got a book coming out uh, May 25th and it's, it's just about, like I said, my my life of uh, raising other people's children because I've I've never had biological kids. So um, my my collection of I, I joke I have a collection of seven kids and uh -huh. ten grandkids through um, foster parenting and step parenting. Wow! So is there ever a time that your whole family gets together? All of your past parenting relationships? Have you ever gotten together? Um, no, there's a lot. You know, I, I did so many short-term kids and uh, respite care, and I, I honestly, I, I deliberately never kept track of how many kids. So I'm, I'm not one of these people who can say, "Oh, I've taken care of 37 kids over the years." Um, I had two long-term placements that um, we set up good good uh, long-term relationships with. Although, you know, with traumatized kids, it, it comes and it goes. Right now, my husband and I have, have two kids um, between the two of us who, who are estranged and angry at us for reasons that we, that we can't control. And right. um, you just... Um, you just cope with that. And so I, I don't want to say that it's all been peaches and cream, but on balance, it has been pretty wonderful. Um, the, the, the kids that, that we do have good relationships with, we actually do um, try to once a year, um, well, this year we won't be able to, but with, with COVID, we're hoping um, that we'll eventually be able to get back to um, 
renting a beach house once a week. And um, it gives a chance for my kids to get to know his kids because they live in different states and um, they just don't have the relationship because they didn't grow up together. Um, but they, they are good friends and can build the friendship. Uh-huh. Well, that's something we'll have to save that for another podcast to have a conversation <laughs> around that. These adult kids, right? Right. They- together and what their experiences are, because I know often they're told, well, you're older, so it shouldn't be so challenging for you uh-uh. as it is for the younger ones. And I have learned from my older children that that is not true. No, it, <laughs> they, they still have the, the results of the trauma and the, the spaces in their lives and that, that, that they still need us to help fill in for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the best way we can do that is to be that gravity, to be that law of gravity and showing up and, and responding. I thank you for your transparency and sharing that you've got some hiccups in your step with some of your kiddos. You're not alone. You're not alone there. Uh, you, you know, there are times that I know Satan wants to use that against me. What are you doing, doing a podcast when you've got this issue over here? And I'm just, right. you know, it's, it's because of these issues that we have these conversations so that other parents know that they're not alone and that the journey is really challenging. And the way that they can make it easier is unity in their marriage, establishing boundaries together for their family. And, and again, I'll say this, that boundaries are more often to keep us in than they are to keep people out. We think they're to keep people out, but they're, they're really for reminders for us that this is how we're going to honor our family. These are this, these are the values that our family has. And so those are really, really important things. Um, Well, I think of boundaries as ways to protect our commitments. Yeah. I love that. That's really good. Really, really good. So I, I think we both would encourage families to take some time to have this conversation for the heads of the household there to come together and have a conversation about what's important in their family and how they can promote that within their family for sure. Right. And it's very important to give a, 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 a joint message because the kids, they need to hear from their biological parents that I will enforce this boundary too. Um, because otherwise they'll just play you off against each other and, um, and, and they win. Yeah. Well, and I, and I want to say that's no different though in a quote unquote traditional situation, because that's what kids do. They're, they are pushing, talking about boundaries. They yeah. are pushing yes. the boundaries, right? Of course. So. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's how they learn. So right. there's nothing bad or evil about pushing boundaries. I mean, from, from day one, kids bang their spoons on the wall to see what right. we're <laughs> So, so that, that's just a normal impulse the, the, the kids do that. Um, they do push boundaries. It's just that in a, a step family relationship um, until you have earned the right to tell them what to do in their minds, uh-huh. Um, they're not going to pay attention to you. Whereas their biological parent already has that right. Right. From, from right. Their perspective. Right. And so I would say I had a guest on recently, uh, Cheryl Shoemake, and she talks about that being permissive authority mm-hmm. that you can receive it at any time. And it can also be taken away at any time from your stepchildren and from 
the ex-spouse, right. which is, that's the part that really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> right? yes. That's the part that we don't like very much. But I think right. uh, putting it out there and helping people understand that so that they're aware, because I know that the number one thing that stepmoms tell me often is they would never do this again. Yes. Which cause it so hard and, and because you so don't realize it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I just want to say, so I said, that's what stepmoms say. So uh, dads out there know that it has nothing to do with you No, <laughs> and wanting to be married to you. It just has to do with the role is really, really difficult. So it's just the situation and I, we're in a fallen world. We are. We are. I can't wait for heaven. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> it's going <laughs> right. to be awesome. Right. Well, gosh, I so appreciate you taking the time to visit with us today and share your expertise uh, and uh, leave some really good nuggets, which I will put in the show notes. And I'll also put in uh, ways to reach out to you and your website so they can read your blog. And then I'll give you an opportunity one more time to share the details about your book that's coming out May 25th. May 25th. Yes, it, it's it's hard to believe. It actually is going to be a reality. <laughs> the the best place for them uh, for for your listeners to find out about it and, and read about the book and and see the the I've gotten some advanced reviews um, is reaching other I'm sorry raising other people's children dot com right. so it's it's just the name of the book dot com okay raising other people's children dot com and I will put that in the show notes too with the link right there so they can go and take a look and um, Gosh, I, I want to ask you one more thing before we go. Sure. So your words of wisdom, if there was one thing that you would compel the audience to think about in their role as a step parent or a parent who made somebody a step parent that maybe they don't have step kids, but they are in a blended family, what would you want to share with them? I think that I would want to share, um, the, the chapter of my book that I titled Commitment is Stronger Than Love. Um, you have to make the commitment, which is separate from loving each other um, and separate from loving your kids. And you have to, um, the, the way I phrase it in my book is, is um, commitment will take you through far more dark places than love alone ever can. And, um, you know, we, we can see that in their mar- in our marriage. Um, all of us have had nights or days when our love for our spouse was, shall we say, not uppermost in our yeah. mind. <laughs> we can say that. <laughs> and, um, and, and what kept us going to the next day was, all right, I can do this till tomorrow <laughs> and, and, and then we'll see. <laughs> and um, we have to do that with our family as well. And, um, and we have to understand that um, we're making a commitment to a family, yeah. not just to our spouse. And that, again, I think your, your, your stepmoms who say they would never do it again, I think they just didn't understand they were making a commitment to an instant family. Right. Um, I, I, I love all of the wonderful stories I hear, but they're somewhat like fairy tales and that we may or may not get our happily ever after. Yeah. 
but we have to be committed to it anyway. Yeah. And you know what? I thank you for that. I think that really ties into that. If we believe in Jesus and we believe that his joy is new every morning, then that's what we cling to in this commitment. I'm going to chew on that. Commitment is stronger than the, I'm going to think about that. (laughs) (laughs) And I've got to get the book. Um, I, I haven't had a chance to read the book yet, but I definitely will. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to us getting together again and sharing your wisdom and, and your, just your fun spirit. So thank you so much for joining us on the bluff today. Thank you. I've had a great time and I really appreciate it. Oh, that's awesome. If you've been in Christian circles for a short period of time, you're likely to have heard the expression that God turns a mess into a message. And it's quite possible that as a member of a blended family, you may feel like you haven't quite received the message regarding the purpose of the challenges that you are now facing. May I invite you to step outside of the mess momentarily and check out the tools and strategies to build your step family legacy and begin living it right now. Our latest coaching opportunities can be found on stepfamilypodcast.com. And if you've got questions, drop us an email at hello at stepfamilypodcast.com today.